You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast in all things communications, advertising, and marketing. I'm your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcaster, and full-time dad. Today we have Justine Jordan, who is a people-first marketer, fiercely committed to creating interactions that cultivate community, loyalty, and growth. Currently head of marketing at Wildbit and its family of brands, Justine previously held leadership roles at Litmus, Help Scout, and Exact Target, and was recognized as the 2015 Email Marketer Thought Leader of the Year. Justine, welcome. Thank you for having me. And what a wonderful reading of my biography. I appreciate the emphasis well, I there. try. I try. <laughs> you like you like the... I'm trying to use my radio voice. I think some of my friends who are in the actual business, they're like, you got to project from down here. So that's what I'm yeah. trying to do. Hopefully that works. Belly work. breathing. <laughs> yeah, the belly breathing. I definitely have a belly after all 18 months of COVID. I'll tell you that. <laughs> So yeah, how you doing? Tell us a bit about you. Like how you got here, how you became email marketer of the year. I thought leader of the year. I didn't even know that. And then how you got to uh, wealth it. So yeah, this can be a very long story. So I'll try to tell you the the short version. I feel like everyone's background is unconventional these days. Like everyone's career path is like a river that winds through a bunch of valleys and around islands and stuff. But I, I went to art school. I have a bachelor of fine arts in uh, visual communication, I wanted to be like an art director at an agency when I grew up. So it's funny how things change. So from school, I spent a year as a brand designer in a tiny like six-person agency. This was, I'm old, so this was before like product design and UI, UX design and like SaaS had really taken off. The company I worked for was kind of exploring that for the first time. And uh, I ended up working on a logo redesign for, at the time, a little startup in Indianapolis, Indiana called Exact Target, who later went on to get acquired by Salesforce for $2.5 billion, that's with a B, dollars. Um, kind of a Midwestern US success story there. You always hear uh, about all the Silicon Valley or the, the New York success stories. I'm not too often about the Midwestern ones. But um in any case, I had uh, in college taken a Web Design 101 class in the days where you still use table-based HTML to create a website before CSS was really uh, a widely accepted way to style web pages. And that experience came in handy at Exact Target, who was an email marketing software provider. And I worked in the professional services organization and got to work at amazing companies like Best Buy and Nike and Expedia and like tiny little like local companies too to help them like build and manage their email marketing campaigns. And that was a really interesting experience because if you've ever dealt with um, like designing and coding the HTML for an email, you will maybe be familiar with the fact that, you know, it could look way different in say Outlook than it does on someone's phone, than it does in Gmail. And especially for many, many years, there was such a lack of standards for that, that it was really a minefield, really hard to do that correctly. Yeah, I was going to call like, it super painful. That's what I was going to say. I was going to interrupt you and go, oh yeah, I've done it. And it sucks. It did not enjoy that experience whatsoever. Not many people do, especially if you have come across this in more modern times and you have like a modern web development background. It's, I think, particularly frustrating. 
so I became this like weird email expert. It was my job to make sure these emails looked great and our clients were happy and the emails represented their brands um, and all the way that they they wanted them to. And this was also before like content marketing really became a big thing. So you couldn't just like Google to solve these problems like you do today. So I was kind of part of a team that was essentially like writing that book. We were solving all these problems and it was a very lonely experience. I felt very isolated. I felt like I was the only person in the world that was like trying to solve this problem. And I really yearned for like a community. I wanted to like, surely other people, like there's other people like me that work for our competitors. Like surely there are other people like me out there. So long story short, Exact Target was, you know, a hyper growth unicorn kind of experience. I was there for like four years and probably got like a decade or more of experience like in those four years. But then I landed as the first marketing hire and employee number eight at a company called Litmus that specialized in testing emails. And I was initially hired to like basically blog because again, this is before like inbound and content marketing became really popular and spent the next eight years building that community that I had so far, like so far yearned for. I ended up like my baby, my my product, if you will, during the Litmus years was a conference uh, initially called the Email Design Conference, now called Litmus Live, like eBooks, white papers, resources. Now, if you go and Google some of those problems, like Litmus is some of the the forefront resources and really like a thought leader in that space. And that's what led to the award I won back in 2015. Congratulations. Thank you. It's weird to like be so deep into a niche as, as a marketer and have such deep experience in email as a channel. But it's been good to me. After Litmus, I spent a year at Help Scout, which makes like help desk software um, as CMO. And then what led me to Wildbit is interesting. You know, Wildbit seemed like the convergence of all of the interests that I had really, I guess, built over the years. So as I got more into management and leadership roles, I became very interested in like changing the way that business operates and creating like a healthier and more like human workplace. Wildbit has many products. And so we sort of act like our own agency when it comes to building and marketing those products. So you can kind of say like my marketing team is kind of like a little in-house agency because we serve all the products that we build. So it scratched my like agency and professional services roots. And then we also have an email product called Postmark. So it was kind of everything I loved and everything I was excited about all, all bundled up together. And we run on a four-day work week. So talk about that four-day work week. That It's still experimental in some countries and definitely not in existence almost in North America that you guys have embraced it. And it sounds like it is going well. So how does that work? Are you paying people 20% less or just giving them an extra day off? How does that work? Yeah, well, it started as an experiment back in 2017. Our founders read a book, which I would recommend, uh, called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And it has a bunch of great science and evidence in it that basically said, hey, as knowledge workers, we might get three or four like good, solid, productive like hours of work done a day. And the rest of it is fluff, right? Checking and responding to email, sitting in meetings, that kind of stuff. And so our founders kind of ask themselves, okay, well, if that's true, like, can we reduce the number of hours that we work, only work for eight-hour days, and still produce the same outcomes as a company? Instead of tracking output, you know, how many hours you work, how many tickets or bugs you close or whatever, 
how many leads you generate on the marketing side. Can we just focus on outcomes? Like, you know, are we shipping good product? Uh, are we meeting our revenue goals? And that experiment was successful and it just stuck around. So it is now a permanent part of Wildbit. No one got a pay cut. We actually just adopted what we call location agnostic pay a few months ago at Wildbit. So we have a distributed team. We were remote way before COVID. And no matter where you live around the world, your salary is based upon what's called the 75th percentile. So for like every 100 people, you'd get paid more than 75% of them for Philadelphia. And that's because that's where our founders live. That's where the company was born. So everybody gets paid a Philly market rate salary, no matter where you live. Okay. And so in terms of the productivity side of things, I'm very curious because we just came out of a four-day work week recently. And I, I actually, you know, you always like, oh, yeah, three, three day long weekend. That's fantastic. And then you come back and those four days are hell. Like for me anyway, I am burnt out that next Friday. I'm just like, I need, I need more than a beer, right? Because you're cramming what feels like five days worth of work into four. So I don't know. I'm just curious about that because I actually feel personally more burnt out after four days than five. That's so interesting because I think that if you optimize for deep work, which is what that Cal's book is all about. So what I think happens a lot when folks just take one day off or they think that, I don't know, I've seen a lot of people experimenting with this recently, especially as a mental health benefit to companies that feel a little burnout in, in, the, in a pandemic environment. And I think what happens is you can't expect to, yeah, like you said, cram everything that you used to get done in five days into four. Like literally the math doesn't work. Be very intentional about like what you cut and where you prioritize. And it has to be like very deeply embedded in your company culture. And so at Wildbit, we're, I would almost say like ruthless about prioritizing, like where we spend our time, what we work on. Say one of the biggest challenges even is... I don't know. I feel like a sense of FOMO sometimes. Like a bunch of smart people that work here. We have like four different products that you could possibly be working on. There's a lot of good ideas. There's a lot of desire to do a lot of great work around here. And we have to be so intentional about what we say yes to and where we align around like what's important to work on right now. And then we have to kind of have the discipline to not get distracted and say no and have patience. And I think especially for a lot of high growth, like marketing and sales leaders, I know I've experienced this in the past. Like you do all this hard work to set like an annual and a quarterly goal. Someone's looking at a, a funnel report and like there's a number that looks wonky, right? We're not hitting the MQLs. We're not hitting the top of funnel traffic numbers. And it creates this fire drill where who cares what we said we were going to focus on this quarter or this year, this number looks wrong. And so everyone go attack that number. And I think oftentimes, like how, how often does that happen? And then like you go back and you look at that number a week later and somehow it's magically corrected itself. <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe your target market went on vacation for a week or something and your marketing automation platform went a little silly or whatever, right? And like maybe you shouldn't have gone on that fire drill. Maybe you should have stayed the course. If you stayed focused, like maybe you could have had like a more calm work environment and, you know, taken Friday off. <laughs> So that that's really what it comes down to it is like, you know, we cultivated an environment and, and a culture where deep work is a priority and we've prioritized around it. So, you know, we don't have a ton of meetings and that sort of thing. And then also a, a ton of meetings. I mean, lots of lots of companies, especially in your growth mode, you would have a lot of meetings and whatnot. What about on the 
client side, when, when you're facing clients, like what day do you guys take off? Do you guys take off Fridays, Mondays, Wednesdays, or what, what do you take off? And, and how do you, do you train your clients to be like, well, we're not talking to you. And, and is that a thing? Is that something that they, they embrace? Yeah, we have a whole blog post about this if you want to get down into the nitty gritty details. But the majority of Wildbit does take Friday off. But we've made a commitment to our customers that we provide. Like We recognize that the majority of the world doesn't work a four-day work week. And that people expect support, you know, at least Monday through Friday in a lot of business environments. We don't offer weekend support. We never have. But so we're also a distributed team. We have folks all the way from the West Coast of North America over into Eastern Europe. And so because we're so time zone distributed, we provide support from something like 3 a.m. Eastern to, to quite late in the afternoon or the early evening. So not quite 24 hour coverage. And then there's some folks on our team that do work on Fridays and there are people that have like on-call rotations too. So customers of ours can expect support Monday through Friday during the hours that we provide it. But then we still give our team, you know, the, the people that work on Friday have Monday off. All right, that's very cool. So that's that's quite refreshing. What attracted you to it? Was it the people first kind of uh, mentality or? Yeah, you know, I'd been friends with Natalie, who's our CEO and co-founder for almost a decade. One of the other companies that I'd worked for, Litmus, their founders were friends with you know, the Wildbit founders. So I'd, I'd been around them for, for many, many years and known of them. And then we stayed in touch over the years and she started telling me about really a vision that she had for Wildbit and one where it was what she called a product agnostic company, where I describe us as a self-funded like venture studio. So rather than taking you know venture capital or money from outside investors and spinning up new products and kind of testing them, we're all self-funded. So we take the revenue and the profit from our products and we experiment and we try to create new ones. Um, I've always been kind of like a product nerd. Uh, I've always like, worked in kind of product-led companies and that really appealed to me. The other thing that really appealed to me was, yes, her vision for what a healthy company and what the future of work could look like. And I really felt like I wanted to almost think of this in the same way that I thought about creating like resources and wanting to help other like email marketers and designers like do it differently or like do it in a, I don't want to say better because there's no right or wrong here, but like think about things differently. I feel like Wildbit is trying to encourage other people to think about business differently. And I've always thought about marketing differently in my role and my function. And that was a really exciting opportunity to, to tick all those boxes for me. That's fun. So then what do you see as, as like the impact of COVID? Because I, th- I think we talked about it a little bit in the, the pre-call. It's just COVID, obviously people are stuck in their homes for the most part. They had to pivot and change the way they work. And, you know, Ballistic Arts, my agency, we were in studio. And then March 13th, 2020, everyone takes their laptops, go home. And we've remained remote. And I think we're going to continue operating remotely even after, you know, the lockdowns lift. Yet I have lots of people ask me, well, how do you manage culture? And yet we found a way to preserve that. And and I'd like to see, you know, maybe what Wildbit is doing on, on that front. Yeah. Gosh, the pandemic has been so hard on so many different people in so many different ways. And um, I don't personally have children, but I think as a lot of people have turned to remote work for the first time, I, I sometimes say that because I've worked remotely for eight or 10 years now, and the pandemic was not normal remote work. It was 
remote work under duress, right? With your, maybe your partner, your kids, your family. Yeah, none of the normal things that we're typically used to living with. And that's not normal. It's definitely not the way I had worked remotely uh, previously in my career. So I think like we have to have a lot of like patience and understanding with ourselves and with the situation. But what I do love about it is that, you know, I had been working remotely for a very long time and I'd grown very accustomed to like, you know, Zoom calls and ways to create culture in an environment where there wasn't an office and that sort of thing. So it was really interesting to me to watch the rest of the world go on that journey of self-discovery and see what that was like. So Wildbit has been remote since pre-pandemic, so nothing really changed for us there. We did have a tiny little, basically like a co-working space that we had in Philadelphia where our founders lived, but we've since closed that because we couldn't get there and (laughs) didn't make sense anymore. But I've always said that creating culture in a remote environment requires a lot of intent. I think culture in a lot of other companies relies on this like element of you always see like the news talking about serendipity, how like serendipity is gone. It's not that we don't value in-person interaction, but it's that you can't just insert Zoom to have it be a direct replacement for in-person interaction. Like I'm a big fan of like setting up informal coffee chats where you just get to know people because that, well, I would have like passed you in the kitchen while I was getting a cup of coffee. So let's, I know it feels kind of silly and maybe artificial to say, okay, like next week, Tuesday at three o'clock, like let's both put 20 minutes on our calendar to do a coffee chat. And it might seem kind of manufactured, but that's, you have to be intentional about recreating those moments where you did have like a connection with someone else on your team, or even asking yourself, like, what does culture even mean to us? Like some companies, it's like a ping pong table or like free snacks in the kitchen. Let's be honest. It's not culture. Those are perks. Culture is like a code of behavior that like your company has decided to like operate within. So I think that's the thing we got to get real about is like, what do you really mean by culture? (laughs) Yeah, we do a thing where every every Tuesday we have a what we call our physical distancing stand up at nine fifteen because some people Mm -hmm. have to drop off their kids at school and they come back and you know we share a bit of good news. It's one round everyone gets to share, and it could be like you know. I'm a New England Patriots fan. And so you're from Boston. So, you know, the Patriots won. Yay. That that could be a piece of good news. Or, you know, customer gave us a, a really good uh, review or, or whatnot, right? And then we'll we'll share a few things around like, we'll do actually do a, what we call our kudos. It's kind of like a little, you know, award system where we actually talk about our values. And if, you know, Justine, you know, helped me on something and, and one of the, the core values at Ballistic Arts is determination, then we kind of give each other point. And then you can collect little points. And then I think, you know, you can get free Netflix for a year or, you know, a free uh, ah. Nintendo Switch or something like that, right? And it's just, you know, little fun things like that. We also have yeah. a 4.30 Zoom beer kind of thing that we do. Even though some of my staff don't don't drink beer, they more they more vape with the uh, the legal product now. So, you know, that, that's what that's what they do. But I think that absolutely the intentionality is is super important. Now, yeah, let's let's kind of get back to to Wildbit's people first. Right. I wanted to understand that people first concept. What does that mean to Wildbit and how do you put it into your products? You know, I think that the idea of people first is somewhat of an ongoing exploration. And we fully admit this if you really go, you know, dive deep into all of the the pages on our site that describe this, you'll find that we feel like we have our version of people first, but it can be different things to different companies. And I think what we're really 
centering around these days is this idea that companies need to be transparent with who they are. And when I say that, I mean to themselves, to their employees, to their customers, to like potential candidates like that are looking maybe for a job there. Because not every company is going to be a good fit for every person or customer in, in the course of time. And people change and business growth stages change. And it's okay. <laughs> it, it, it's okay that all those things change and that people will be good fits for each other at certain points in time and not maybe during others. So I think it's really owning who you are and being confident in that and doing the reflection to understand who you are and then say it out loud and be okay with that. Like for instance, Wildbit, let's say that you're really excited to work for a high growth company because you want to experience what I experienced back at Exact Target, right? You want to hire a lot of people and like get a bunch of different bosses and experience like a few reorganizations so you can get a whole lot of experience like in a short period of time. That's a perfectly valid desire. You will not experience that at Wildbit. <laughs> Just because like that's not the trajectory that we're we're currently on. And so there's nothing wrong with wanting that or wrong with a business that wants to do it that way. But to us, the people first thing to do is to say who you are. And the way that we've said who we are is that we break down our, I guess, philosophy on this into four pillars. So we have a people-first business, people-first operations, uh, people-first innovation, and people-first impact. And they kind of roll into one another. So the business strategy is this one of product agnosticism, um, where we believe in, in running a certain kind of business where it's... And even the people-first come into play there, where... I think a lot of companies, especially the founders, they build a company because they saw a problem in the market and they are like, I'm going to scratch my own itch. I'm going to build something to solve this problem. And at Wildbit, we hired a bunch of really excellent people. And then we said, okay, what problems do you see in the market? Like, what can we build? So some of that even comes from the people here. The operations come through things like our four-day work week or the fact that we have location agnostic pay. Um, how do we you know, run our business in the day-to-day? The innovation comes down. You asked about how we build our products. And so something very interesting about Wildbit is that we don't have a traditional sales team for any of our products. If you want to engage with us, you will never talk to an SDR, an account executive here. Um, you either self-service in like a kind of a free trial, what's now known, I guess, is PLG, right? Product-led growth kind of model. Or you actually talk to our head of product. Um, like you go straight to the source. He's the furthest thing from a salesperson, uh, Rian. Um, wow. But he's happy to talk to people if they want to. So like a random client will just call your head of product and just be like, hey, I want to talk about this. And he books with a Calendly link. Yeah. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wow, that's amazing. Given the fact, again, four-day work week, and then you're going to have, you know, random, hey, I want to inquire about this. Well, and here's the thing. is like the volume isn't that high. And if I could proffer a hypothesis as to why... It's that we make it very easy to get started with Postmark because you don't like all the documentation is there. You can start with a free trial. And look, I know that that is again not the model for everybody. Sometimes products are incredibly complex. You need like an implementation team to help you get it up and running. So you might need to have a little bit more of a, of a process in place. But for us, like our product is really well documented. We put the pricing right there on the website. Like we allow people to do all of that work and do that discovery on on their own. But if they do want a human to help, then we're available. I really like your how you, on your website you have the makers of right section. Mm. And it kind of when I first looked at it, I was like, is this a directory? What is this? I've never seen this before, right? And it kind of looked like, you know, in the movies, you know, the credits in a in a movie of like yep. this was made by a director of photography, this and this and this. And so I think yeah. that's that's a very interesting way of, of positioning that people first acknowledgement. So really cool there. Now, definitely this this business has email entrenched in it with with its products and you come from that space. You know, I actually do a lot of webinars where I, I talk to small business owners and, and teach them like, hey, you know, you should consider email. It's still in fact something that people do, even though it's like, oh man, there's so much spam, right? So what do you say to marketers? who have either abandoned email or think it's just like this necessary evil when it comes to part of their marketing arsenal. So email has died about a thousand deaths in the like you know career that I've been working on it so far. And I joke that email is a zombie. It always comes back from the dead. <laughs> and here's why. Not only is email the most personal marketing channel that you have. I mean, even what you just said, like that people complain about spam. Well, why do people complain about spam? It's because your inbox feels like a personal place. And if someone comes into it uninvited, we have a reaction to that because it's our personal inbox. I didn't invite you. I didn't give you permission to to come here. By now, you know, Gmail, Outlook, all these ISPs, they're really good at filtering the 
the true spam, like the the malicious, like bad actor stuff. And so today's spam is the cold outreach that's really poorly targeted, right? It's someone that, I don't know, scraped your email address and like added it to a list somewhere. That's today's spam. And again, that's that's a permission issue. It's because the you came into the inbox uninvited. And it's because it's such a personal space. And email is such a great way to connect one-on-one with people, but do it in a in a bulk capacity, right? The other thing that I think has become really important, especially, what was it, like a, a couple weeks ago where Instagram and Facebook were down for most of the day? And I saw tons of small business owners that rely really heavily on social media and had adopted this email as outdated or dead mentality suddenly realizing I have no way of reaching my audience because I'm relying on this other platform that gatekeeps and algorithms and monetizes. And so email is really the only true owned channel where no one can touch your email list. Like if you've built that and you've built that in a thoughtful, like considerate way, no one can take that from you. If, if you are a thoughtful player. Okay, that, that's actually a very good point. I've never actually thought about spam and like the fact that it's kind of my personal space and you're invading. I, actually, that, that rings really true in my head right now. With regards to <laughs> doing it well now. Okay, so great. Let's say what you've said, our audience, now we have you know, our hundreds of audience listeners going, yeah, this is, this is really great. And we, we definitely want to do this, but what is the way to do it? How do you do it in a way that's going to resonate and actually provide some ROI and not just, again, create spam for the the bulk audience we have? Yeah. I've long thought about not only my job as a marketer, but in particularly when it comes to respecting like that sacred space in the inbox. I think about it like a trust bank. And Every brand, by the way, is not my idea. Borrowed this from someone that wrote a book. I forget the author's name at the moment. But um, every brand, every person has a trust bank. And so much of marketing is selling. It's pushing. It's asking for something before you give something first. And it immediately puts your trust bank in the negative. So I think about, I need to build up capital before I can basically take a loan. You know, how am I putting deposits or encouraging deposits into my trust bank. And I think about marketing is how much can I give, how much credit or capital can I build up before I ask for a loan, before I ask for a take. And in today's like hyper growth environment, so much of marketing is buy, 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 buy. Like, look at me. It's very like me too marketing. We're not very patient. We want immediate short-term results. And for whatever reason, there's this expectation that when I do a marketing thing, I want to expect an ROI from it. I want to be able to measure it. You know, performance marketing has is, is really become quite the default expectation. But so much of this comes back to brand building. And email is a great way to say, here's what I can genuinely provide you. Um, if, for instance, you have a great content program, if your product, you know, genuinely helps solve problems. Like you can build a newsletter around that. You can ask people to subscribe to it. You can, instead of just telling them, 
how you help, you can show them, right? You can say like, this is how we do this. This is how I, you know, genuinely want to help you without selling them something. Um, And that's usually the best way, I think, into inbox positivity versus this idea of just being seen as spam. Like if you're just asking for things, if you're just selling, that's where what could be a really helpful email suddenly becomes spam. But isn't that really going back to the, you know, I don't know if he originated it, but the Gary Vaynerchuk, jab, 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 right hook about providing value, providing value, providing value first, right? Because that's actually, in fact, what I, I tell a lot of my clients, like no one cares that you won this award. No one cares how great your stuff necessarily is. How are you helping your audience? What are you doing that's actually providing a contribution? And, and if you're showing this is, like you said, how you can do this, most people are looking for a product or service because they don't want to do it, right? They want to know that you can do it. But you, by you showing them, I think it makes it like the whole thing. Like this is the, our entire process. I think it provides actual confidence in your company, right? I actually had a, a particular course that I took, right? Where I listened to their blog for three months and they told me exactly what they're going to offer through the course and how they do it. And at the end of it, I was like, I don't have the time to do it myself. I'm going to go and pay for this course, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, so, and, yeah, um, I think that's, that's really cool. Being able to provide that first rather than just sell, sell, sell because... And actually, I, was, I had another guest come on and he actually is uh, the editor of the Clio Awards. And he was talking about how because of the pandemic, advertising has kind of regressed back to the buy now, sell, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And it, he's like, oh man, I, I hope that this pivots back to you know having humor, having creativity, all those kinds of things. And you don't really see that in the world of email still. Like even, even the really good ones, I find that it's, you know, I mean, they might provide value, but I don't, I don't get a lot of humor or a lot of, you know, that kind of stuff. And at least I haven't seen any email campaigns that make me go, oh, that was really clever and funny. It's more like, okay, I, I'll consider that content. You know, um, have you ever considered deploying that? Yeah. So you're you're actually speaking to I think it was it was in the last year. I actually gave a presentation for an agency called Seer Interactive that looked back at how uh, the pandemic had changed email. And it's on my website. You can go look at the video. My website is justinej.com. It's under the story section. But I pointed out exactly that, how the pandemic seemed to give some brands at least like a wake-up call about their email program. And they suddenly rediscovered empathy. And they said, oh my goodness, like our, you know, our constituents, our stakeholders, they're stuck at home, you know, because of supply chain problems, all of our shipments are delayed. Even airlines were like filming videos of their CEOs talking about like all the safety precautions they were taking. So some of that you could argue is self-serving, right? They were doing it in order to like help save their businesses. But I mean, that's all marketing is, is they, I felt like they were listening for the first time in a long time. And their audience was saying, we're humans, we're suffering right now. We need to see that you're human too. So I did see a, a market change over the course of the pandemic with how a lot of emailers were handling it. I saw empathy I saw like new ways of using personalization that was more like people and human centric. And there's a lot of those good examples in that presentation. (laughs) Very cool. So let's uh, get into a little bit of a rapid fire round. I just want to, you know, ask some questions of Justine and, you know, so that our audience gets to know the human side 
of Justine, not just the email thought leader of the year. So you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. So let's start. Are you a night owl or an early bird? I used to be a night owl, but now I've learned how to be an early-ish bird. Early-ish bird. What is early-ish? Does getting up at seven count? I mean, it's, I, I put it this way. Enough. I think it's good enough. If I don't work out in the morning, I don't work out. So now I purposefully build workout time into my mornings. Okay. All right. Good. Are you a cat or dog person? Cat. Are you somebody who likes to sing in the shower or hum while cooking or both? Neither. I am a terrible... You do not want me making any sort of musical noises with my mouth. It is, <laughs> is that right? oh. disaster waiting to happen. I listen to podcasts, actually, both in the shower and while I cook. You listen to podcasts in the shower? I, I maintain that that is like my best life hack that I have discovered in the past like year and a half. Please um, share. Please share. Well, I, I find it very difficult to find the time because like no one has a commute anymore. I guess I haven't mm-hmm. for a very long time, but like I just wasn't finding the time to like listen to audio content, whether it was an ebook or a podcast or whatever. And I was like, well, like, I mean, what am I doing while I'm in the shower? Like nothing, right? And so now like phones are like water resistant these days. So I bring my phone in the shower and I shave a few minutes off of an ebook or a podcast. <laughs> wow. I think that's the first guest. You're the first guest that has said Hey, I listen to podcasts in the shower. That's amazing. Okay. What podcast do you listen to right now in the shower? Lately, I've been listening to a lot of The Daily and Vox has another one called like Today Explained. I try to, after the last couple of years we've had, I've tried to be very intentional about how much news I consume because that can get into a time suck mental health rabbit hole. So I find that if I time box that, I'm a much happier, healthier person, but still a well-informed one. <laughs> Are you a value shopper or someone that likes to like binge spend on things? Hmm. A little bit of both. Um, the older I've gotten, the more I'm okay with spending a little bit more money on something that's very high quality and that will last a long time and that I'm really happy and that like brings me joy. But I also, pandemic was good for my wallet. I barely spent any money or bought anything because I don't know. Everyone's got like their pair of sweatpants, right? Oh, dude, I actually was the opposite. I was, oh. I was, I've got like so many pairs of sneakers. And this is because of all those email <laughs> things that I got, you know, like Adidas and, 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 uh, and Nike. And I'm like, oh, those are nice. And I've like worn one pair because yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Now I have like these brand new shoes. I realized I have six pairs of sneakers that I haven't worn. So I'm going <laughs> to stop now, which is just crazy. Uh, favorite children's book. Oh my goodness. It has been a minute since I have even thought about this at all. Oh my goodness. I feel like I'm just going to have Green eggs and ham or something like that? Come on. Well, here's the thing. I feel like all these children's books that we cherish, at least if you're old enough to be me, are coming out and like, we're discovering all these things where like, yeah, like Dr. Seuss was actually like, you know, like not a great kind of racist or like whatever, right? And... Yeah, well, so was Walt Disney, but you know, I still love my yeah. old places you'll go. You know, like like I'm I hey, I'll tell you, like we have my for my daughter, we read Oh the Places We'll Go. You'll all oh the places you'll go. And 
every at the end of every year of her school year, she gets her teacher to sign it. And I think it's still Aww. something, right? I don't know. Yeah. The only thing that comes to mind, because it's been, I don't have kids, and it's been such a long time since I've inter- interfaced with the, uh, thinking about that meme book, the Go the F to Sleep one that's based off like Good Night Moon. <laughs> <laughs> that was that, count? that was very appropriate. I think every I think every parent has that book. Favorite song album you're listening on repeat right now? Um I really like uh Billie Eilish's new album. It's good. Fried chicken or cake? Fried chicken, but ideally like a boneless variety. Boneless fried chicken. Come on, man. It's like the thigh with the I'm bones. a weirdo. Like... I used to be a really picky eater. Yeah, my my our video director won't he only the only meat he'll eat is chicken and he will okay. not touch the bone. Like it will not be and he he's yeah. he's dating a Chinese girl and he's dating a Chinese girl. So like when he goes to the Chinese banquet dinners, he's this weirdo just sitting there like not eating anything, right? So Yeah, I would have to cut the chicken off of the bone and then eat it that way. Like I can't feels very like yeah. At this point, I've, I've become plant-based. Actually, for the last 10 months, I've been plant-based. So there's no bones in any of my food. So you could try that. There'd be no bones there. So We recently started eating... Um, uh, we get one of those like meal delivery kits. and One of them is a vegan one. And I really enjoyed it. So not completely plant-based, but definitely way more plant-based. Yeah, I agree. It's wonderful. I think it's, it's a good idea. Yeah. No bones. No bones in kale. Is there a charity... Uh, that you've supported financially or with your time and, and why? Yeah, that uh, event that I told you earlier about uh, from Sierra Interactive was one where they donated all the proceeds to charity. And I had a really hard time picking one. At the end of every year, uh, my partner and I, we try to um, you know give to some organizations that are trying to make progress on like causes that we care about. And the one that I chose for SEER was um, the World Resources Institute. And the reason why they really stood out to us is that they responsibly use their donations. Like one of my biggest pet peeves is if I give money to an organization and then suddenly I just start getting a bunch of like direct mail. And I'm like, well, I know what you're spending my money on now and I don't particularly mm-hmm. love it. So like kind of the less marketing I get from the charity, the better uh, after that donation. And World Resources Institute, we scuba dive as a, as a hobby. And I love that their um, commitment to improving the world's resources, like included like oceans um, and a few other things we really care about. So that's the one that has most recently been on my mind. Favorite place you've gone scuba diving? Mm, That's an easy one. And it's Bonaire. Um, We usually, at least when the world isn't in a global pandemic, would go there uh, every year. And not many people have heard of Bonaire. Uh, um, it is an island in the Southern Caribbean. Most people know of Aruba, maybe 60 miles north off the coast of Venezuela. And the reason why that's so popular with scuba divers is because the whole east side of the island is basically a reef under the water. And so you gear up, you put all your scuba stuff just there on the shore, and then you walk out. You don't have to go on a boat or anything. So it allows you a lot of freedom to dive kind of like on your terms and on your schedule. Is that when you listen to the long content podcasts? <laughs> it's hard to take uh, that equipment in the water <laughs> with you. Uh, so no, on dives, I'm mostly just listening to myself breathe the bubbles. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's meditative, right? It is so meditative. Like I find diving to be so relaxing at least in Bonaire, like the currents there aren't very strong. I've been diving in some other places where it's a workout, but. (laughs) 
What's a podcast or a, a marketing audiobook that you would recommend to our audience members? Oh, gosh. I guess I'm a little bit biased because I just appeared on this one. But there's a brand that recently came across my radar. They're a little um, content marketing agency actually called Verblio. And they make a podcast called Yes and Marketing. And they've been exploring, similar to how Wildbit has, this idea of people first. And so I've really enjoyed some of the conversations that they've had on their podcast recently and, and the values that they that they put out there. Awesome. Any advice you know, that you want to give to marketers? Here's your, here's your chance to the marketers in Canada. What would you say? I would say every time you find yourself having a strong opinion about anything, about the way you do marketing, the way you score your leads, the way you set goals, I'd encourage you to ask yourself, why? Um, is this the way everyone else does it? The way that you've been taught to do it? The way that, I don't know, work culture pressures you <laughs> to do it? I ask yourself why and give yourself the freedom to explore that. Very cool. Well, Justine, thank you very much for your time. How can our audience members get a hold of you? Yeah, depending on the day. Sometimes I'm on LinkedIn. Sometimes I'm on Twitter. I'm Melodori there, M E L A D O R R I, after the Smashing Pumpkins song, Melodori Magpie, or my website, that's justinej.com. You're a Smashing Pumpkins fan? I was a big Smashing oh, Pumpkins yeah. fan back in the 90s. Well, I mean, 1979, that song, it actually has mm. my name in it. So, oh. That's Justine true. Never, never true. knew the rules. Hung down with the freaks and fools. Right. That might have been. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why you're teenager, asking but... the why. This is now you're asking the why. <laughs> there you go. Very cool. Yeah. Well, if you're friends with Billy Corgan, please tell him I said hi. I wish. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for your time, Justine. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 